it's just like <laughs> the angels and the devatas that are like attracted to news for the soul is amazing. This is Damien Brinkley. Welcome to the hearts and minds of Informers. This is News for the Soul. Hello, this is Satyan Raja, and you're listening to News for the Soul. Be open in your mind, your body, your being. Allow yourself to drench in this awesome information to evolve you to your next place. Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show. And we're still live. It's still February 27th, 2017. I've got that a lot today. There's been a lot going on today. Several different segments starting from my early morning interview with Howard Martin of HeartMath. If you missed that, it's already in the archives, newsforthesoul.com. But right now, we want to stay here for Breaking Through with Grace Gideon, another new host from Australia. I don't know what's going on in Australia in the last year or so, but holy moly, there must be some kind of consciousness awakening revolution down there because they're all coming up here to be on the air, and I'm very excited about introducing you to Grace. been looking forward to this hour for quite some time. She is an international life coach with a unique capacity to intuitively and clinically diagnose the psychological factors standing in the way of your success and fulfillment. We're get to, going to get to know her story today. From the beginning, the place that we start with all the new members of the News for the Soul family. I'm having trouble talking. I'll have some more coffee while I'm here. Grace, welcome to News for the Soul. Good good morning from Australia and good afternoon to you, Nicole. I'm so excited to be here and to be on air with you. And I've been listening to some of the News for the Soul shows and they're spectacular. I wish I knew about you years ago. Oh, we have a pretty good family here. It's been very exciting, the level of growth in particular in the last couple of years. I guess it's good yesterday, technically. You're on tomorrow. <laughs> ah, yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> that's what counts. So, here we are. We're going to start so at the beginning and get to know you. So, if you want to know your future, I can tell yeah. you the future because <laughs> I'm a few hours ahead of you. <laughs> we'll just give you a call. Yeah. <laughs> but here's what we want to know. Is we, want to, we want to know your okay. story and how you came to be doing what you do. And we all have an interesting start um, into the consciousness yeah. field. Um, it's usually yeah. intriguing moments that get us awakened right so i like to ask everyone the first question that place that kind of connects us as a a community which is um, recounting Mm. the moment your first moment and or most profound you can do both um of your Mm -hmm. first real connection with something that was outside the 3d norm that we were originally told that we are so what's uh what's your story well I guess the thing that got me into the personal development movement was that I was suffering from a very serious eating disorder and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just thought that I was just somebody with weight issues and problems and uh, uh, that were to do with weight. And I was um, working as a corporate lawyer in England at... um, when I was about 27, which was the time of my Saturn return. And I was very, very sad about my appearance. And what happened was 
uh, one of the people that I was friends with handed me a book, a personal growth book, and that was my first ever, ever personal development book at the age of 27. I had done a law degree. I'd been a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. I'd been to university. I'd done drama school. I'd done theatre directing, but I had never read a self-help book. And once I started reading that book, boom, the whole world opened up to me and I realised that we were multidimensional creatures. I realised we had feelings. I didn't even know what feelings were. I was just basically a talking head and a very humorous person, but not connected to my feelings. Uh, I only knew mad, bad, sad or glad. So, boom, this this book opened up my, my world and then I became hungry. For it, And then I started on the path of personal development and the further down the path I went thinking that I was here to fix an eating disorder, I realized that this was God's calling to take me on a spiritual path. What was the book? Well, <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing, hmm. but it was a book called Women Who Love Too Much by Robin Norwood. No, Do no, you know that book? book? Mm-hmm. It's a I came great across book, but what, uh, what was happening, that one early. Oh, did you? Tell me. Did you? Yeah. That was my first self-help book because I was a. Not only was I somebody with um, with weight issues, I was always also somebody who just kept falling in love with unavailable men. And um, somebody said, "You've got to read this book because there's something you're doing wrong." And it was like, oh, my God, it was one of those books that was telling my story. And, uh, and it actually talked about women who had food issues and love issues. And then I found another book by Janine Roth called When Food is Love. And, you know, when you start on the path, there's always one more thing mm. to take you to another place, isn't there? Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... Well, let's go linear. So you, you found that book and, oh, my gosh, and you were awakened um, and connected. Yeah. Where did you go next? Well, once I, uh, once I started learning, I wanted to keep learning because I've always had a passion for learning. And as I found out that my food issues were about repressed feelings and emotional trauma that I wasn't dealing with and childhood trauma that I wasn't dealing with, I went into therapy like, like a lot of people do and started uncovering a whole lot of uh, memories and issues and stories about myself that I didn't think were relevant to my existence. And uh, as I lost weight, feelings kept surfacing because I wasn't medicating with food. And then I would try and have another relationship and then new things would come up. Uh, And I just kept doing one thing to the next and then um, the principle of synchronicity and the universe just kept guiding me. It was like, you know, Hansel and Gretel, one, you know, one crumb led to the next crumb, led to the next crumb, led to the, um, you know, led to the gingerbread house. But, Hopefully there was no evil woman trying to put me in an oven, but oh. rather, um, <laughs> although you can you can meet a couple of those, but really what what there was was a path to my uh, evolution, and I became so interested in personal growth. I then decided to study 
uh, addictions counselling because I found out that I had an addiction, an addiction to food. And then after that, I did. Uh, I went to America, to California, and did a master's in East-West psychology. And then I met Marianne Williamson, who became my best friend and is still my best friend today. And uh, she opened up A Course in Miracles for me. And, you know, once once you're mixing with, with high vibrating beings like like Mary Ann, uh, you know, the world's your oyster and, and you really can't go back. Mm. How did you meet? Mm. How I met Mary Ann. Uh, it's quite funny. Um, I went to America to study my East-West psychology uh, degree in California because I didn't want to do the psychology that they had in Australia because that was all cognitive behavioural therapy and scientific and I was already interested in a psycho-spiritual pathway and so um, somebody that I had been dating, um, his name was David, uh, had gone to this place in California and told me about it and then I went, wow, this place sounds amazing. So I went there and when I was with him, he said he had been invited to a retreat at Marianne Williamson's house for spiritual activism and would I like to join him? And I said, of course I'd like to join you. So within a couple of weeks of being in California, I went to Detroit where Marianne was at the time and uh, attended this private retreat in her house and we we just clicked. It was just wow, souls who really knew each other. And at the end of that weekend, she invited me to move to Detroit and work with her and live in her house. And so, wow. uh, yeah, how about that for meant to be? And um, really we've been connected ever since, ever since. Yeah. So she was teaching a private get-together on spiritual activism? Mm. Yeah. Tell us more about that. She she founded the Global Renaissance Alliance with Neil Donald Walsh, Deepak Chopra, Caroline Mace, and and a lot of her yeah, peers. Yeah, I was there at the first one. Well, there you go, Nicole. Neat. There you go. She is it. Yeah. So she founded that, and oh. then she got very interested in activism because. She, as as we all know, she's a very, very socially conscious person and she was very interested in all forms of activism and spiritual activism was, uh, was, was a field that she was developing and writing in and um, she wrote the, the, the Soul of America book. With, and um, so there were people from the, the college that I was at in California who were also studying spiritual activism and, in fact, David Nichols now written a book on that. He was my partner at the time. And uh, she she collaborated a lot with California Institute of Integral Studies on spiritual activism and uh, that, that we, we, we worked in that field. And the foundation still exists. I think it's now called the Peace Alliance and they're lobbying for a peace department in Washington. And the work mm. continues. Were you there in Puerto Rico for the first uh, alliance? No. 
No, I was not there. No. No, I, I came in, you know, via a side door uh, in the year 2000, I think. Oh, okay. I was there actually mm. because Dr. David Morehouse, former CIU remote viewer, was also uh, presenting because he had connected with Deepak Chopra and I had interviewed them about the alliance and went out and covered it from that angle. So I was coming in the Deepak Chopra door, but I was there. So how cool is that? That is so cool. Well, I guess your journalism background has helped you be so relaxed and so well connected and and we're all grateful to you for what you the community you've created. I was not relaxed in the beginning, let me tell you, but you know, <laughs> we get the calling, right? And as you do what you, can, you are here to do. As you can see as you can see with with me and others who it's we're all nervous in the beginning, <laughs> but the most important thing is to be of service. Well, that's the thing, and that's what people need to hear who are listening. Many of them are getting these calls, and this is one of the reasons we do this first before launching into everybody's shows, because they just assume, well, they're brilliant and had special privileges or something, and that's why they're on the air. No, we're facing our worst fears, lots of us, you know, and stepping out into the uncomfort zone and bringing your unique piece and tuning in. I mean, it's a fine art and science to be able to step into your purpose and, and then be seen, right? Oh, my God, it's just such a profound statement. I just had a client with me in my coaching business before you left, and I said to him, uh, you know, potential is a beautiful thing, and it's my job as your coach to see your potential. But but the real thing is he has how to move potential into actual. That's where the struggle is. That's where the pain is. That's where the dark night of the soul is. And, uh, and and that's where part of the work that I would like to do with the audience is not just identify their potential for them and their blocks for them, but uh, teach them how to step through each of those blocks so that they can actualize. And I'm not talking self-actualize on a Maslow hierarchy of enlightenment. I'm talking, let's just do a bit more than we're doing. Let's just step a bit further into happiness. Let's just step a bit more out of the dark and into the light so that the little voice inside you says, you know, I matter. And it's not that not that we have to matter to others. We have to at least matter to ourselves, you know, because it's mm. our conscience. It's our, it's our social conscience. It's our moral conscience. It's our spiritual conscience that say, did I do a little bit of what I came to this planet to do? You know, did, 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 did I advance the course of a human psycho-spiritual evolution just a little bit? Did I make myself a little bit happier? Um, did I make myself a little bit more fulfilled? Did I make myself a little bit more purposeful? And, you know, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I like to help people do and that's what I like to help myself do. And... I love self-disclosure. I think the 12-step movement, which helps a lot of addicts, gave a great gift. Um, a great, uh, that and the Oprah-style uh, confessional talk show gave people a great <laughs> gift, not to be self-indulgent, but to be able to show vulnerability and and show that we're all human and that we're all on this path together and inspire other people 
through our struggles and through our vulnerability. Absolutely. Love it. Well, we'll get there. Let's continue with our linear journey. We last left off. You've met Marion Williamson. You've yeah. done one weekend secret seminar on, on uh, sorry, what was it? Conscious. I've already lost it. It was spiritual activism. Spiritual activism. Thank you. She invites yeah. you to move into her house in Detroit. <laughs> so now what happened? <laughs> Well, I had already enrolled in my master's in psychology um, and I had that weekend broken up with David. So I think one of the reasons she invited me is that I know, see how pain can, see how pain and pleasure are so sweetly juxtaposed. So I had broken up with David. So he managed, this is how you know, kind of mischievous and amazing the universe is. We got together, we broke up in her house, basically. She saw my pain. She said, there's something about you um, I like. Um, Hart Phoenix was there too, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's mother. You know, they comforted me. They, They nurtured me. They said... You know, come join us. I had to go back to uh, San Francisco and think about this offer because I'd enrolled and I was still hoping about something with David. But what happened is I needed to find a place to live in San Francisco and I could not, I was on Craigslist and I could not find a single person to take me in. Every single door shut. And this is ridiculous. I just cannot find a place to live. And then I paused and thought, you know, the universe is telling me something because by this stage I was, you know, I, I, I first discovered the, the, the multidimensional existence at 27, but by this stage I was 35. I knew there was something beyond me. I thought maybe I can't find a place to live because I'm supposed to take up this offer. So I went and spoke to my lecturers at the at the university and said, do you mind if I defer? I know I just enrolled, but do you mind if I defer for a term? And uh, and they said, look, we understand where you're at. Why don't you defer? But there's one or two courses you can do online from Detroit, and this is a great opportunity to go and live and work with Marianne Williamson. So that opened. The living situation shut. I called Marianne because she'd given me her cell phone even though she didn't know me. Um, and everybody who I was trying to get a, a room with in San Francisco didn't return their calls, didn't return their emails. But I call Marianne and she's getting on a flight to Dallas. She, called, she answers me immediately and I said, Marianne, do you remember me? You invited me to come and work and live with you. Of course I remember you, Grace. I'm on a flight to Dallas. I can't talk but come any time, I'll call you when I arrive in Dallas. And basically, I flew over a week later. And these are the things, these are the things that I encourage my clients to listen for. And that is, if if a door is shutting, it's shutting for a reason. Mm-hmm. Don't keep banging on that door. And, and, and then I did that and then, uh, you know, we... That was the year 2000. Now we're in the year 2017. And, 
you know, she's a beautiful person who's my best friend and she opened up a lot of opportunities for me. But, you know, not only that, it gives you the perspective of what seemed in the moment like something terrible happening seems to yeah. be divinely timed and on purpose. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I've been trying to understand, you know, God or universal intelligence, mm. and every time I read one more book or listen to one more audio, or I think I'm starting to understand God and and then and then God does something completely different to what the the God of my understanding is and then I go oh my God I don't understand God and then I remember <laughs> the biblical parable of the Tower of Babel you, you know that story where they were building a tower to get close to God and to know God and then you know God split the languages and made them speak in multiple tongues and on a and I thought, oh, right, maybe I'm not supposed to understand God because, because God is beyond human comprehension. Maybe I'm just supposed to serve God and ask God's will for me and, and let God guide me rather than, hey, I've got this one nailed. I get God, you know, because God is infinite. How could, how could a finite version of my mind know know something so infinite and even though I, you know my soul is infinite there are aspects of me that are finite and uh and what am i trying to do uh so yeah so god works in mysterious ways right nicole absolutely i think if we got god and all the infinite wisdom in one swoop we'd probably self-combust so <laughs> better uh, stay yeah. in the moment and i was saying and I was saying um, to another client, you know, it's really, really good uh, we can't see our futures because if if I could see my future with the fantasy I had of who I should be by the... I probably would have killed myself by the age of 12. Do you know what I mean? Because... <laughs> I know exactly I what had, you mean. <laughs> I had a vision that I was going to be... Um, a princess because my name was Grace and I was in love with the captain of the football team whose name was Wayne Kelly uh, and uh, I was going to be Princess Grace Kelly and I wasn't going to let up until that happened and you know I'm well you know unfortunately she she did pass away um, but I had this vision vision after vision after vision of my grandeur and what in actual fact the the, the 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 queendom that I'm acquiring through humility is infinitely more uh, fulfilling than the fantasy bond that I had to you know glamour and fame and 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 uh, romance. Mm. Yeah, I thought mine was different i wanted to be little and not seen so if i'd known you know what was coming <laughs> mm. equally unimpressed oh wow wow that mm, is yeah. that is you want you actually wanted to be invisible on some level huh yep i did indeed that's so it's, it's very that's amazing. it's good that we don't see ahead honestly because yeah yeah, yeah, we wouldn't be in the moment. We'd miss all the lessons. Speaking of which, we're still just moving in now 
to Marianne Williamson's yeah. house in Detroit. What happens next? <laughs> yes. So I start working with uh, with her at the Global Renaissance Alliance, and I meet some beautiful people who are still doing uh, great work, like uh, Matthew Albrecht and Hart Phoenix and Ted Bradfield, and uh, amazing people. And, and Marianne introduces me to, you know, the who's who. Every week she has another guest, the, the late Wayne Dyer, Neil Donald Walsh, Caroline mm. Mays, Deepak Chopra, all these beautiful people, David Daida. I, I meet amazing people mm. through her, Catherine Woodward Thomas. And uh, I go to Larry King live interviews with her. We just, you know, I, I do, I study A Course in Miracles. I work at developing circles for the church uh, that, that she was working at at the time. And... I grow my my uh, therapy practice and my coaching practice. I then travel between San Francisco and Detroit over the next two years, completing my, well, two and a half, three years, completing my master's in East-West psychology. I meet absolutely brilliant people uh, who are lecturers at that university, like Brian Swim, who's an intellectual giant, and uh, Rick Tarnas, and and I get my masters, and life goes on. And which bit will I jump to next? There's so much. <laughs> well, which let's go you want to hear next? So you're connecting, and you've got—I mean—you mm. have access to all the great teachers. Um, mm. You mm. know, it's like you put yourself—you manifested this high-impact learning scenario. What was changing for mm. you? and evolving for you as you're mm. going through that? I think, um, I think in my studies, I, I delved further, further into the work of Carl Jung, and mm. I, I really, really loved Carl Jung, and I loved in particular his teachings around the shadow and the disowned self, mm. and and I met the late Debbie Ford and uh, oh. and Louise Hay and all these um, amazing people and uh, but I and and James Redfield he was wonderful him and his wife were beautiful people yeah they are and much. oh look all these and and the chicken food soup for the soul Jack Canfield all these people and. Uh, but what I really, really, really loved was uh, the work of Carl Jung, and the 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 also symbols, symbols, synchronicity, individuation, and the disowned aspects of the self. So I particularly researched that work when I was doing my uh, masters and started combining that into my practice and my consciousness kept expanding and I did trips to Sedona, Arizona and, and um, did pilgrimages and went to the Esalen Institute and uh, did so many workshops, met Carolyn Braddock, who's another brilliant, brilliant woman, just did a lot of work, Nicole. I could have, as a corporate lawyer, I could have, 
And I did. I bought a waterfront property in, in Sydney where the real estate prices now, you know, are making New York and Paris um, look, look, you know, cheap um, almost. They're getting, they're getting crazy, Sydney property prices. But I, and I don't know if this is a wise decision and all of those practical people out there might think, well, that was a silly move, but I sold my waterfront apartment in uh, Sydney to to finance my spiritual and psychological growth. And I did every workshop. So I did a degree. Uh, I did this, the things with Marianne and, and worked with Marianne. And then I would, every every chance I got, I read about 700 self-help books and then I did the uh, Esalen Institute whenever I could and I flew to Colorado, I flew to Sedona, anything, anywhere, I would go. You know, hungry, hungry, hungry. Uh, I I think that's brilliant because not only that, not only are you immersing, you're energetically committing. Yeah, I was so... So energetically committed. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Well said. So as you're going through these trainings, I know personally I've been through some staggering moments. You know, those moments I was alluding to in the first questions where you have a staggering experience that's beyond the so-called possible. Do you have any stories Mm -hmm. like that to share? <laughs> oh my god, so many. But um as uh as I put in the uh eleven things about grace on the News for the Soul website, one of the most amazing things was when Marianne turned fifty and, and I know I'm mentioning her a lot but but this is a crucial phase of entering into this field and I hope she doesn't mind me talking about her so <laughs> much, but it's just it's just the truth. Uh, I finished my my master's and uh, it was Marianne's 50th birthday and she invited me to Paris for her 50th. And it was at a time when I was thinking, hey, I'm going to try and get into Berkeley and do my PhD because I'm loving this stuff. Um, and so Marion said, hey, I'm turning 50, come to Paris for my 50th. And I said, yeah, sure, why not? Sounds amazing. And I, my mother, God rest her soul, and my sister were in Lebanon at the same time. So I call and say, I'm going to Paris. And they said, hey, we're in Beirut. It's only a couple of hours. Why don't you come and spend a few days with us or a week with us before Marianne's 50th? And I said, yeah, sure. And then I said, but, you know, I don't really have the money right now. Then my brother, who doesn't normally give out money, phones me up and says, let me buy you a ticket. Go hang out with mum and Daisy. Oh, okay. So my brother's buying me a ticket to Lebanon because at this time I've sold my waterfront apartment and I'm a student. And, <laughs> and uh, so he buys me a ticket to Lebanon and uh, I say, look, I can actually do maybe 10 days or so and, uh, and then I've got to go to Paris. They said, sure, come. We have an apartment in, in Lebanon that we own and I fly in 
and I I go to the apartment, meet up with Mum and Daisy, my sister, and my sister make is has made or is making a film. I think no, she's already made the film with Omar Sharif, um, God rest his soul, uh, about Lebanon called Lebanon in Prison Splendor. And mm. she's getting she's having a visit from from one of her crew and his name is Ali. And I'm saying, okay, you've got a friend visiting. I'm going to go out for a jog. I go out for a jog and Daisy's friend Ali comes to visit our apartment and meet up with mum and Daisy and have a coffee and brings his friend Rashid with him. And I go out for a jog, which Nicole in Lebanon is completely unheard of for a woman to go out jogging. You know, people look at you and laugh at you, but I was in a fitness phase at the time. And I come back from the jog and I walk into the apartment in my active wear and I look across the living room and I lock eyes with Rashid. And it was love at first sight. And we were married 12 days later. Oh, I wow. extended my trip days. by two days. I think oh 12, 10, God. 12, 13, something like that. You know, I wish I'd written down the exact, but it was definitely within two weeks. And the most bizarre thing is I saw him and we went out on the balcony and we were chatting and uh, we just connected immediately and I asked him if he had a girlfriend. He goes, yeah, I've got a girlfriend, but it's not serious. And I said to him, well, I, I can't possibly date you if you're with someone. He goes, it's not serious. Anyway, <laughs> after that, after that, within a couple of days, I think it was a Tuesday, on the Friday of that week, my sister and I went to Syria before it was war-torn uh, to do a pilgrimage because uh, uh, there's a lot of confidence and it's quite a spiritual uh, place. And we went there and to do a pilgrimage and we went to convents and we went, I even went to a mosque and my sister was praying for a kidney for her husband who needed a kidney transplant and, and was, had been on a wait list for several years. And I was praying for a husband because by this stage I was 39 and I, and I was missing out on having a baby and a family and I had had so much trouble. My problems, as I had mentioned earlier, were food and love. And I was praying on my knees, dear God, bring me a husband. And I'm in Syria and I get a phone call from Ali on the Sunday, which was the third day of our spiritual pilgrimage, saying, Grace, you know, come back, come back to Beirut right now. Rashid has broken up with his girlfriend and he wants to date you. And I went like, oh, my God, that's bizarre. That's the fastest prayer I've ever had answered. And <laughs> I come back. Rashid meets me. We talk. We hang out for the next, I don't know, four or five days. He proposes. Then <laughs> It's bizarre. Honestly, if it was wow. a movie script, people wouldn't believe it. He proposes and then um, he then asks my mum for my hand in marriage 
takes me up to the village to meet. My sister says, I happen to have a cream beaded dress with me. <laughs> so within days, and his family, he's got 10 brothers and sisters. So it took two or three days to organize a wedding in his sister's front yard and have 80 people there because that's just his immediate family. And oh all the sisters cooked. I know, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. So we got married. And guess what? I had to fly out. He couldn't get a visa because 9-11 had happened and he's Muslim and I'm Christian. He couldn't mm. get a visa straight away um, back to America. So I had to fly out of Beirut and go to Paris and stay at the Four Seasons with Marianne and have my honeymoon in Paris with Marianne calling Rashid every night. Wow. <laughs> so I had a that honeymoon is in Paris. I had a remote honeymoon. That's inc- what? That's amazing. Jeez, you're a powerful manifester. That's a weird manifester. story. <laughs> I don't know because... I've been trying to manifest something else for the last year and it hasn't come together. So that's why I say God is mysterious because when you think you've got the formula for manifesting, you don't, you don't necessarily have the formula for manifesting. It was, okay, I just think it was piece. destiny. Yeah? Yeah. But there's, there's that me. important invisible piece that we can't control that's exactly, it's not like where we just go, well, I'll have this, 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 and this, thank you. And we have it right. Yeah. That, other yeah. element, that mystery element. I mean, it'd be actually kind of boring if you if you could just go meh, have whatever instantly, and you know, <laughs> there'd be no that's challenge. Right. That's <laughs> why. That's why, with all due respect to um, this field of work, I'm very cautious with my clients when they uh, get into some of the texts on manifesting that that seem to suggest if you do X, Y, and Z, and if you think positive, and that's all there is to it. It's obviously very relevant, but mm-hmm. it's not that formulaic. There's always yeah. mystery. There's always uh, divine. There's always course, um, forces operating, isn't there, Nicole? There's the forces, there's the subconscious forces of your um, personal unconscious, which is, uh, childhood issues and even past life issues and, and subconscious blocks and then there's also mysterious forces of good karma you may have accrued in the past just coming to you now and you don't know exactly what it is so all we can do is act with integrity and let go of the results mm-hmm. yeah and I mean fact is it wouldn't be amazing Right when we manifest, if it was yeah. all cut and dry like that, and it would infringe upon yeah. free will of others and all kinds of other things. So, it you know exactly it right. is a miracle when you get it to the end of the day, and that's amazing. I love that story. Wow! So now you're married, and now you're on a honeymoon <laughs> with no husband, but you're with Marianne Williamson in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> the story gets yeah. more interesting as we go along. So where do we yeah. go from there? Well, we apply for a visa. Um, for Rashid to come to America and it's 2002 and we got married in June and then uh, on 9-11-2002 when 
the the date passes without event, America then issues him a visa the very next day. He comes wow. to America. Yeah, he comes to America. Uh, we stay there for a while. Uh, he finds it hard being in San Francisco, where I had now moved to, um, because it, there isn't a strong Lebanese community. We moved back to Australia, and uh, and and he finds it better because there's a very strong Lebanese community and Detroit has a strong Lebanese community, but I would, I was going to be in San Francisco to do my PhD. So I forego my PhD and uh, fall pregnant, which is very wise for any woman turning 40. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, that, you know, that relationship continues for a while. It has its ups and downs, but I come back to Australia and I set up my practice, my uh, uh, counselling, coaching practice, and I go into private practice in Australia and I see clients here and I maintain my friendship with Marianne and then basically eight or nine years later, Marianne's writing a book on a course in weight loss and she invites me to go back to America and assist her with that. And then I do public speaking with her on that in New York, LA, San Diego. And that kind of gets me more interested in doing seminars. And basically from then on, I expand my practice from coaching to doing seminars and running groups and then eventually uh, then she invites me to do the Aphrodite workshop with her and then I last year I I went and did training with Les Brown, Brendan Bouchard, Andy mm. Harrington to take my career to the next level and I think okay I've got to do seminars and things like that and then I get back from my seminar in London with Andy Harrington mid-December and I find an email from Nicole Whitney News for the Soul (laughs) in my junk mail box and then I go hmm that's interesting and instead of deleting it I read it and I go Hmm. There's a good vibe mm. about this, and I call <laughs> and I call Nicole Whitney News for the Soul, who says, "Hey, are you interested in a radio show?" And I go, "In what my wildest imagination, I never thought of a radio show. I thought of a TV <laughs> show. I thought of public seminars. I thought of YouTube channels. But what the heck? Here's a radio show." And that's where we are today. And I still have my private practice, and I'm doing this. And here we are. Um, let's talk and about here we are. Let's talk about yeah. what you're, you're actually doing with your practice. What, um, what does that look like in the form of who you're helping and in what ways? Okay. So I have uh, clients of 
all ages, basically from maybe the age of 15 to 75 or those ages. And my demographic is uh, basically, it started off mainly with people with addictions, but it's addictions, relationships, self-esteem, and what I call psycho-spiritual coaching. And it's uh, business coaching because with my law degree and um, my my knowledge in that area, and also because I went to drama school, I get lots of actors. I've got I've got I've got lawyers. I've got judges. I've got actors. I've got celebrities. I've got um, people with addictions issues. I've got um, women who uh, have gone through divorce and are trying to get their identity back. I've got couples who are struggling. I've got people who are having midlife crisis, Saturn returns, uh, people looking for purpose. Anyone who feels that they're blocked in an area of their life and they don't know why they're not where they need to be, then mm-hmm. I work with them and I tune into their energy and I use my psychology and the energy work to uh, diagnose what the problem is and then we workshop how to move forward. You know, one thing we're going to have to talk about um, at more length, of course, in future shows is the transformation you went through, the journey through that weight loss. It's such a huge thing, but maybe we can do a a bridged version today. Yeah, look, uh, I do get embarrassed, to tell you the truth, talking about it because of my ego and my image uh, issues and also I don't like to be, you know, a weight loss ad but just being humble and hoping that this is information is of service to people out there with uh, food addiction and obesity issues. My top weight um, at a very young age in my 20s where I should have been at the prime of my beauty was close to 300 pounds. And uh, I have lost more than half my body weight so because I'm about, well, let's say 135 pounds now. Uh, so uh, that, that was such a yo-yo experience. And the layers that I had to go through to go from 300 pounds to a right-sized body uh, I know that when Mary Ann wrote A Course in Weight Loss, one of the uh, criticisms of that book was, oh, my God, you, the rigorous work you have to do um, according to this book to get weight loss, you'd have to be you know, some kind of master guru, personal development person. And, um, and I thought about that, that that comment that somebody made and I just sort of thought for some people, not, not all people, 
but for people with the level of uh, complexity to their uh, eating disorders and food addiction that I had, I had to work on emotional issues. I had to work on psychological issues. I had to work on negativity. I had to work on body image issues. I had to work on uh, a chemical addiction to sugar and flour. I had to get a relationship with God and myself because what was happening for me, Nicole, is my first diet was when I was seven years old. Okay. Seven years old. And I, my, my body was like an accordion of weight loss and weight gain with mm. attempts and failed attempt, failure and attempts at failure, like, like an alcoholic story or like a junkie story. So for people who, have, people who have struggled with something as simple as eat less, exercise more, which you probably need an IQ and single digits to understand and yet able to achieve massive things in life, to not be able to eat less and exercise more consistently for me was humiliating. But what I found is that I actually had an addiction like an alcoholic and and I had uh, multi-level reasons to eat uh, that were emotional, psychological, behavioural, habitual, Oh my, I, I don't know, you know, even, even if you put the seven deadly sins in there, sloth, gluttony, greed, jealousy, I could put all of them into my addiction, anything. And I had to learn how to live life on life terms and live in reality and not turn to the food one day at a time by the grace of God. And that's still yeah. a daily reprieve for me. So does that help? I hope it helps. Yes, I I can tell you I shared the pain. I have uh, I had topped out at about two forty myself. I'm now down a hundred pounds. Wow. Permanently, thank God. Wow. But yeah, it's, it's wow. the whole energy thing. You know, for me it was safety and fear uh, from past abuse and all that kind of stuff. But um, yep. Not only that, there's an energy factor, and because you're on the consciousness path, I mean, I yeah. You know, I've noticed this on my trails the the people doing energy work in particular have this um extra layer that they yeah. subconsciously seem to put on as a protection around the energy as well and that's a whole other mm. level of it but you know this is a the know, reason i wanted to make sure we bring true. it up is it's a huge problem with our audience i mean not our whole audience but on the consciousness path it seems to be a prevalent issue around energy so it's that's why i wanted to make sure we talk about it yeah that's 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 very that's very interesting and and i really want to uh honor and highlight the fact that your weight was around uh safety uh issues Mm. because of past abuse which makes complete sense of your need to have been invisible so you've got to respect when someone says i wanted to be invisible there you go what a yeah. what a what a wise protection mechanism for you. And the really interesting point that you just made is weight is a way to make people invisible, which is so paradoxical because you become yeah, so large physically. <laughs> yeah, you become Weird. so large physically, but 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 you're 
but but your essence becomes hidden because all people mm-hmm. see is this fortress of fat, you know. And yeah. and when people are protect, protecting themselves energetically, I, I understand that in the the in this field of work because the the higher your vibration, the more in tune you are to um, energy takers, you know. And people, I, yeah. I don't judge people who who take energy or or people. They're just needy because they're hungry because they've got a wound. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, luckily for me, luckily for me, when I'm when I'm with somebody who I feel is needy or taking my energy or sucking me dry, I always talk to them about that. What is going on for you that you're so anxious? What's going on for you that you're so hungry for my approval? And then because we bring it into the light, they can have a conversation with it. But but if I can't have that conversation, my body has an automatic reaction of danger, danger, stay away. But what then happens is I go into avoidance and they become more needy. And that's not really healthy. So I always have to challenge myself when I use avoidance to protect myself from needy people. And as for the other energy work, because I'm not an energy worker um, and a chakra worker, uh, other people would have better better answers to that than me. But, you know, it's it's a well. Your whole story is amazing, and that's so. I know it's uncomfortable to talk about it. But it's important that you're able to, you know, help others with that. And I just want to really applaud you for. Everything you've done. I'm so excited that you're here in part of News for the Soul. Um, our hour went way, 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 way too fast. I could talk to you forever. Um, but thank God thank we you. will be talking again. So I'm looking forward to that. But here's what we need to do. In the last okay. uh, few minutes of every show or so, we do something on News for the Soul. It's our tradition, shameless self-promotion. And this is coming yeah. from the place of, you know, what you've got. I mean, look at the culmination of experiences and learnings and, and things that you're bringing to the table. Someone out there needs mm. to be able to know about that and access you and work with mm. you further. So coming from mm. that place of service to the planet, we want to have you shamelessly self-promote anything you would like to promote today. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that, Nicole. I have not... Uh, written books or developed online courses yet. I have a beautiful content producer called Carolyn Flower who will help me with that. But for today, if you allow me the privilege of self-promoting, then what I would love to do is connect on a global level with with, um, clients. I'm an international life coach. I have clients in uh, America, Canada, Europe, uh, Thailand, Singapore, Hong Kong. And I would really love to get more international clients as life coaching clients via Skype or phone, whatever suits them. And to do that, all they have to do is go to my website and go to my bookings page and have a look at uh, the packages and the fees and send me an email and uh, talk, tell me what they want, and we can do some sessions. Also, there's a question form on my radio show page and on my home page. And if people have a question for me, I would love 
for them to start sending in their questions, Nicole, so that in two weeks' time, when we're on, I'd love to have callers calling in with their questions and be able to do some live processes for people whereby we do a like a mini therapy session. When I work on stage I can I can do a you know, a four minute diagnosis and feedback. So I'd love to be able to do that to callers. So I'd really, really like to encourage people to send in questions to News for the Soul or or to my website for the next show and to book some sessions with me. Beautiful. Grace, we've got you all linked up at newsforthesoul.com. Do you want to give out your website as well? Yes, it's www.gracegedeon.com. Awesome. It has been a great pleasure. It was just so meant to be divine connection, divinely ordered. (laughs) thank you and thank you Nicole and uh, thank you again for this opportunity very very grateful and uh, I hope uh, I do a service to you and your station and your listeners that is my pleasure and honor to facilitate that and I look forward to next time Grace have a great couple weeks thank you Nicole and thank you everyone for listening Grace Gideon, all linked up at newsforthesoul.com. I've got to do a switchboard reset. Busy day here. Uh, A few more shows for you. Live next will be Christine Scott right after this. This is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the...